probably the thing that stands out the most is how fast time goes. Luckily, Mark, when we first met, Mark said, okay, 20 minutes per shot at a bare minimum. Um, and throughout my time, I've kind of stuck through that. Um, even in the past couple of years, I've stuck to that. Uh, although sometimes I've had to be like, ah, oh, this shot 15 minutes, this shot 10 minutes, but really, like, each shot should be at a minimum 20 minutes just to get through all your setup and your takes. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 19th episode of the Unofficial La Sierra Film Podcast. As you may have noted, I am not the usual uh, voice that you hear at the beginning of the show, but that is because today we are going to be interviewing Brendan here about his film, Distant Lights, similar to how we interviewed uh, myself, my film TA. Uh, but today, we're joined by a new friend to the show, Gwen. Hi. And as always, Kenton and Brendan. Yes. Hello. What's up? <laughs> <laughs> So um, as you uh, as you probably guessed, we're going to be interviewing Brendan about his first film, which he uh, filmed about two years ago, and how time has flied. But uh, without further ado, let's get to, let's get going. So Brendan, uh, why don't you give us a brief overview of your film, uh, plot synopsis and such, and uh, tell us what it's about. Yeah. Okay. So Distant Distant Lights was created in my second year of college. Distant Lights can be found on Vimeo. Just search up my name, Brendan Wilson, on Vimeo, and then you can find Distant Lights under me. It's essentially a short film about um, an old man reflecting upon his dreams on, in, at different stages of his life. And um, well, that's a short synopsis. Uh, it was shot over four days over the course of a year and finally completed in like, the middle of my junior year um, just because of like, sound effects and music and everything. Um, but so that's essentially a brief overview. Yeah. yeah, really long disjointed production process. Why don't we like <laughs> kind of jump into uh, some of that? So why don't you walk us through the inception of this project and what led you to uh, creating it? Yeah, so um, I, I stated before, Distant Nights was creating in my second year of college. And this was uh, kind of came out after... You know, I, I entered last year, I was kind of blown away by everything. Um, you know, it was, it was like all new to me, at least the, the level of um, uh, filming that goes, that goes on, at least production quality that goes on and all the stages in between. So I was kind of blown away by all that. And then once I started getting to know like what the curriculum was, I realized that um, we were, at least this curriculum required, by the time I graduated out, I, I would have only like made two films. So I was like, okay, uh, let's make a film outside of that. Um, and so I can hopefully, you know, have more films by the time I graduate. So then uh, that was kind of the reason why that at least I wanted to make this film. Um, and then the script kind of came out um, out of a flash of inspiration. I was um, in, in the weeks leading up to my sophomore year, I was working for the film department. And uh, one morning I woke up. Um, had the flash of inspiration, wrote down the script um, for like two and a half hours, barely had time to like eat breakfast and get ready and stuff. And I went to work. I showed Rodney the script. He liked it. Um, and he gave me a few suggestions to um, add in. But um, overall, like the final script is pretty close to the original script, barring like one scene and like a couple um, things. Um, but then I spent the next couple months planning the thing. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, so why don't you tell us about your planning and pre-production process? Since this was your uh, first film, what were the things that you kind of prioritized? And uh, what are the things that you knew you had to have for pre-production? So probably the thing that drove uh, the film the most, at least in pre-production and and then post, and was my storyboard. So I storyboarded the whole thing out. Um, and I think out of all my films that I've made since then, like probably Distant Lights is probably the one that has followed the storyboards the closest <laughs> um, in terms of like uh, movement and camera angles and whatnot. Uh, it's not exact, but it, it's pretty close. Um, so I made the storyboards. I think I, you're, you, Chris, you were probably the first person I asked <laughs> to help uh, since you're, you were my AD. Um, and then I got I got Mark to do the cinematography. I met up with him and asked him if he'd be willing to do it. He was like, yes. So I was like, yes, I got Mark. Um, <laughs> and then the crew kind of filled in from there. Um, casting was a little difficult um, just because I didn't know many people. So I went on backstage. I asked around, um, especially for, you know, like the older um, older actors. You know, he, was, he don't know many. So I um, asked around for that. And... Um, the two people um, at the end were from backstage um, and like all the rest were like people that I, I knew or had connections to. And uh, locations were pretty difficult to find. Um, I think at least like when we're, when we're on top of the, it's pretty obvious that it's a parking lot. Uh, <laughs> I needed the location that would overlook, like um, at least a a, um, a city, and you know, I I tried to get to towers, um, but they were like no because policy. Um, asked around oh, a couple more, roof? Like, yeah, because <laughs> <laughs> you know it's supposed to be you know you're in a dorm room and you go on top of the roof, mm-hmm. um, but um, yeah, we just changed to a parking lot. Um, <laughs> luckily, Loma Linda was kind enough to um, say okay to that as long as he didn't like shoot in, in the direction of the university and the medical center. <laughs> um, and then the location that was difficult to find was the office um, scene um, because I wanted a, an office, you know, that was like high up and that would overlook a city too and with big glass windows. So I, I, I called around in downtown Riverside. Uh, obviously that didn't work out. And then uh, I, I looked around campus, saw like um, the, the rooms and humanities um, with the glass windows, and I thought this could work. Um, so I asked Dr. Crane, he said, okay. And we shot in there with a the green screen. Mm, cool. Ooh. Wait, that so was at La Sierra? To... Yep, that was at La Sierra. Um, I was like, it looks so nice. It doesn't look like La Sierra. <laughs> I don't, it, it's, a, it's, it's the adjunct um, history office. Um, ah. And so they have cubicles there, and then we just shot in there, and then the green screen was a pain to get out, but um, in post, but it worked out. Yeah. So uh, before we move on any further, is there any other questions that have kind of come up while Brendan has been talking about his pre-production? Yeah, I was wondering on what made you choose the actors that you chose that you knew from last year, like Spencer and well, and OT. Yeah. Well, those were like it kind of worked out to be very they get the kind of look similar to like the older actors mm. um with the teenage 
character that Spencer played, it was a little more difficult to find or to find that role because like ironically, even though like it's a young character, so theoretically there should be like a lot of actors that should be able to should be able to play that part. Mm-hmm. It was like, you know, I don't want to ask, you know, someone like on backstage, hey, would you want me to come out and like do this? Because it's not really that much to do. Yeah. So I wanted to ask a friend. So um, I was like, ah, oh, Spencer. <laughs> um, it worked out well. Yeah. Um, OT, I was like, OT's great actress. Um, ask her. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> OT's never a hard choice to choose. I know. She's so great. Uh, Gwen, do you have any questions? No. All right, then. Let's uh, keep going. So, Brendan, uh, you talked a lot about... Um, you know, trying to find one place and not being able to film at a location, having to figure out a different solution. Um, did you have any other bigger snags in pre-production? Not necessarily. Um, those were like the biggest issues that kind of came up in pre-production, just trying to find those those specific locations and trying to find the, the right actors. Um, but overall, everything else pretty much went smoothly in pre-production. You know, of course, in production, you know, my lack of thorough planning kind of came through, but overall, it's pretty, pretty good. Okay, then uh, how about this then? Uh, since it was your first production and you were doing a lot of things for the first time, uh, is there anything that kind of surprised you about the process the first time you went through it? Or was something like surprisingly easy, surprisingly difficult? Anything that you kind of noticed from your experience? Probably the thing that stands out the most is how fast time goes. Luckily, Mark, when we first met, Mark said, okay, 20 minutes per shot at a bare minimum. Um, and throughout my time, I've kind of stuck through that. Um, even in, in the past couple of years, I've stuck to that. Uh, although sometimes I've had to be like, ah, oh, this shot 15 minutes, this shot 10 minutes. But really, like each shot should be at a minimum 20 minutes just to get through all your setup and your takes. But... Yeah, like on on the first day, that was the most hectic day. Um, we were there, we were setting up, and then we had to like change locations um, twice, and then that 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 sucks up a lot of time. <laughs> yeah, let's actually talk about production a little bit more. Um, so you since you talked about you planned for a couple months and then you shot over the duration of about a year, you said, what is it like filming in a back to like back to back versus filming in scattered production days? So this film was shot four days over like the course of several months. Um, whereas like my, my other films have been shot back to back to back. Um, mainly, I think that is down to um, the different requirements of the film and it, like the, the uniqueness of that it's different stages of life. So therefore there's different actors at different scenes and therefore like it doesn't always have to be back to back to back. You know, it works with their schedule. Whereas, you know, if you're working with the same, you know, couple actors throughout the entire film, then you need to go back to back to back because it's just easier to schedule out. Um, but at least shooting for distant lights, it was easier to shoot in separate in different days, not back to back because of the different sets of actors. Hmm. Um, but yeah, so two days were shot over Thanksgiving break. Um, one day over winter break and one day in mid-February, um, each for different sets of actors and mainly, mainly just yeah, getting those sections. All right, cool. Uh, why don't you tell us about some of your actors? Because you had, for your first film, 
you decided to have actors that were very young, actors that were very old, and even professional actors. Tell us what it's like to work with uh, the different levels of actors at the different stages. Yeah, this was my first film, so I wasn't, I still don't know how to direct. I definitely didn't know how to direct then. But at least when trying to work with the actors, it was very much a learning experience. Um, even though like the child actor was great, um, he had a couple experience um, working with other sets before. So he kind of knew the process. And even though like definitely my shortcomings definitely came through, you know, there everyone was willing to go to work through it. Uh, one actor was required a lot of takes to get the right um, tone out, but I think we kind of got it in the end. And then, I mean, OT was great. Spencer was great too willing to work through everything. Scotty, um, of course, was fantastic. Um, like you, his silence just like emanates his his presence, you know, and the weight of, of the acting and the role. And the older actors were, were great too, you know, willing to work through everything. Um, as I said before, my shortcomings definitely came, came to the fold, but they are willing to work through it. And yeah, that's when I kind of learned about how to give action verbs and motivations and talk to everybody. But I think everyone was pretty great to work with. So uh, you talked a little bit about Scotty Ray. Scotty Ray, for the people that don't know, he is a professional actor. He has gone to, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, was it? Harvard. Harvard, yes, correct. Thank you. Where he got his uh, master's in acting. <laughs> mm -hmm. He is actor, writer, director. And he is someone who kind of helps Brendan and I uh, see like potential of actors because he, in all honesty, was probably one of the first professional actors we encountered in our lives. And so yeah. uh, talk us through that. Talk us through what it's like working with a professional actor, like asking him, hey, can you be part of my film? And then on the day, you said um, for people who have seen the film, he, most of his stuff is silence. He rarely, if anything, like talks. Uh, so talk, talk to us about that. Yeah, well, let me just say first, like Scotty knows like the the differences between, you know, like a student and like a professional. And so like, even though like I approached him probably not in the most professional way, um, I don't even remember like what I asked, but um, <laughs> he was definitely, you know, like, you know, willing to, you know, help me out and do everything. Um, and so when I contacted him, um, you know, the first thing he said, you know, at least for acting, um, the first thing he said was, yeah, you know, I, you know, a lot of students asked me, asked me to be, to be in their films, you know, and, and it's great. I got to get all these opportunities, you know, I love your script. Um, but, you know, at, from my um, standpoint as a professional, you know, I, I can't, you know, always accommodate for all these students asking me to be in their project. So, um, you know, I do need some some payment, you know, and, and that's totally understandable just due to the his status and where he is in life. Um, so, you know, I negotiated with him, came to an agreement. Um, and because, you know, it is like all the shots and the scenes are shot at night. So, you know, that wouldn't take him, you know, away from his kids, at least that late at night. And 
um, you know, when we're there on set, you know, he's talking to me, you know, working, you know, at least the background of the character out because I didn't exactly flesh that out beforehand. And he, you know, made some great suggestions. And yeah, like I, like I said, you know, his, his silence and definitely carries the weight of his presence because like everything it is just like you feel it in the room you know even when like you know we start rolling you know you just feel it and it's great all right so before we move on uh any questions kenton and gwen um um i have questions about the story but are we going to talk about that later uh no let's go ahead and ask that right now um so what was like the meaning behind the story like from your perspective because i might have interpreted it a different way how did you interpret it i'm curious <laughs> um so i got that this guy is growing up and he is told to look at the stars for like his dreams or his hopes or something and it like gives him peace but um I'm not sure at the end if he doesn't see the stars because of like light pollution or if he's just like old and can't see. <laughs> um, yeah. He sees the stars in his wife. Um, I got that at the end, I think. Yeah, well, I mean, um, yeah, the, the one thing that Rami. That's one of the things that Rodney gave me a suggestion on was to have like a physical reason why he couldn't see the stars at the end. And mm -hmm. that was down to pollution and like his old age, like you said. Um, so that was great that you noticed that. Overall, like it, it said in the beginning, um, like you said to, you know, like uh, look at the stars, you know, the stars are the metaphor for his dreams. And in writing the story, I wanted to convey that, you know, when we're young, we have, you know, the world open to us. We can like choose anything that we want to essentially. But as we go on, you know, our dreams that we wanted to accomplish when we're, when we're young slowly kind of narrow down into this section that, you know, we don't have as many options. We can still choose, you know, but we don't have as many options. And then when we're old, we lose sight of everything that we wanted to do as a child. And that, because we have gone through life, you know, we have gone through all of our time that we have and that we don't have many more dreams and goals that we want to accomplish. Um, and then the stars and his wife was to convey that, you know, maybe all the dreams that you once wanted to accomplish have shifted into another meeting. And it's the people that are around you that, that maybe are your dreams. Yeah, I got, I got that thing at the end but um, I was watching it with my mom actually, and she was really confused at the end why it just zoomed in on her hair. And I was like, it's the stars, you know? But uh, I hope you don't mind like constructive criticism, but I think it would have been better if it was like stars were reflected in her eyes. Cause personally for me, I find eyes more like symbolic of the soul that's a that's a great note you know <laughs> it is the first film there are mistakes you know things could have been <laughs> yeah. better yeah I mean, um value was really good i like the cinematography yeah mark is great but the ending was probably one thing that 
wasn't you know to the storyboards um in in the in my original storyboards she was supposed to kind of like step in front of the um in front of his view like to block out like the sky um and then stars would kind of shine through her her hair if there w- if there was to be stars in her eyes that would definitely require more visual effects <laughs> yeah <laughs> Or you could just like do some fairy lights, strobe lights, and just like hold it in front of her face. I don't know. Reflection. <laughs> yeah, oh, that's something to play with. That's know. an idea. That's a really good idea, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or just like shine a couple flashlights directly into her eyes. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> just right, blind so... your actress. <laughs> yeah. You know. It's fine. <laughs> All right, Captain. Do you have any questions? Um, not really a question, just a comment. I really like how tor- between the transition between Scotty's scene and the older version of the main character. Okay, I lost the video. But I really like how h- half of their face is in dark and half their face is in light. And it transitions and then it just switches which side of the face is in light and which side is in dark. I just found that pretty cool. Yeah, I don't know if Mark intended that, but it definitely came through. <laughs> Before we move too far away from production, let's talk about um, the challenges of night shooting and night filming. Um, since all of your scenes were at night, how uh, how challenging was that? And what things did you realize upon putting your entire scene at night? Well, I mean, the issue with shooting at night is that, you know, you don't have a lot of time. Um, at least time that people are willing to give before they want to go to bed. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so uh, the main issue with, I mean, that was just that was just scheduling wise, but at least shooting at nighttime with the locations. Luckily, um, a lot of them already had you know outlets available to us that I can plug into and shine a light through. Mark likes to do motivational lighting, so you know using the the natural environment and then seeing how the light comes from there using sources from there to help guide um, the way he lights the scene um, but overall we used I think the muslin a few times um, with the sky panel through it uh, to help get that you know um, side side lighting and then um, yeah we use I think almost every single scene except for the one on the parking lot had an outlet so overall it wasn't too hard of a challenge to, to light. What about when you were in the grove with um, Spencer and OT? That scene? Like- yeah, that was my, my aunt's house. Um, oh. So it was maybe, I think, like 50 yards away at most. So we just ran a couple uh, stingers over. Mm, okay. <laughs> and let the scene. John, John had some... Um, John Huang had some battery lights that we used to light the background. But as far as the main lights goes, those were by plug. <laughs> yeah, I really liked that scene. Me too. All right, so uh, let's move on to what it took to edit. So you were saying uh, earlier in the show that it took you a couple months to write it, took you about a year to film it, and then it took you to your junior year to complete it in editing. Um, and you also talked about green screening and visual effects. So why don't you kind of walk us through uh, an overall of uh, editing your film and then getting it ready to uh, 
ship out. Yeah, I think the the last day we shot was February 19 of my sophomore year. And then by the time school was over in the summer, I had it completed um, editing-wise. Um, at least on my on my end, <laughs> so I had the I had the final cut. I had all the visual effects in. Um, I spent the last I spent probably spring quarter, um, getting all the visual effects in, and that included the stars and that um and the green screen. Um, I used the the IMAX in the editing bay, and that was a pain. Um, Sony's codecs aren't the the best uh, for an IMAX. Um, because we shot in the A7S2 um, for the low light, but yeah, I looked up a tutorial on how to find uh, or how, how to create um, stars in After Effects. <laughs> um, I did that. I also had to mask out um, the trees and whatever else, at least in the first couple of scenes that we see the stars, so that I could blur them because we had the focus set to the, the trees and not to <laughs> not to infinity. So I had to blur those out. You can see it. If I'm, I'm sure it's noticeable, but you can definitely look at it and see that I blurred it out. <laughs> Put the stars in. The the green screen in the office was the most painful thing to do. Um, I think I had 20 layers of masks and um, other stuff just to figure out. Because there's a lot of green reflection um, on the table, on the chair, and on Scotty. Um, so I had to like key out different things individually so that I could replace it with the with the clean plate and then make it so it doesn't look green. And then the green screen was wrinkled. So <laughs> that caused some shadow on the ground and some other things to make that made the key harder. Yeah, that, that was a pain, but I'm I'm happy that it it, it looks pretty nice. You can see a little bit of like um, warping around his figure on the outline, um, but I, th I think I, I like it. <laughs> yeah, and I think to notice like that warping, you really have to be like looking at it. Like, yeah, or it just has to be a big screen. <laughs> uh, I remember several times coming into the edit bay and just seeing you in edit bay one two three four. Yeah, just masking away, masking away, masking away. Star, 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 masking away, masking away. And I'm just like, Wait, right, did you have to later, put in, like each star individually? No, no, no. It was it was a generated um, CC ball thing, I think. So uh, I um, know you, nothing about After Effects. So yeah, uh, it, 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 it essentially, yeah, essentially, use an algorithm to um, make like it's it it spreads out the thing. You scatter it, you know, and then. Um, yeah, the little Luma mat and effect to make it twinkle, and then ta-da. <laughs> cool. If only the sky wasn't so polluted. <laughs> I know. Yeah. yeah, when I first uh, started watching, I was wondering if you were going to go out to Joshua Tree and try and get the stars that way. Without and do a full sky replacement? I don't know. I'm not that yeah, deep into After Effects, man. <laughs> I think it's important to kind of note that both with my first film and Brendan's first film, um, we had effects or we had ideas in our mind when we wrote the script, produced, uh, shot the script, and then got it to the bay that we really didn't know how to accomplish when we first wrote it. And so the best tool that we had was to look it up and try to figure it out and look for tutorials. And uh, don't be afraid to do that because like you saw with Brendan, my film, it may not have worked perfectly, but it certainly helped us in our later films. So. Mm -hmm. 
So uh, continuing the post-production uh, train of thought here, um, after you had gotten, uh, after you are getting it in, organizing all your footage, getting it together, what was it like receiving critique for the first time? Um, critique, I think, was good. Um, nobody bashed me. And I mean, it was definitely a learning process, but um, probably the thing that I got the most feedback on was that it was hard to see that it was the same person all the way through. And I, mean, I got it pretty quickly. So, I was like, oh, this guy's growing up. Yeah. I mean, that's the final piece rather than like, you know, the first draft. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, the first draft didn't have the scene with, with, um, his older self in between the child and um, the teenage years. Mm. Um, that was added in because um, the, the transition that I wanted to have was to have the jib um, kind of come down onto like a really close up of his face and then to have it cut to the teenager and have the jib come up from that. Um, so it'd be like a, a match cut thing, which I think definitely would have, convey that as the same person but because due to like you know safety reasons you can't exactly have um a jib that heavy about you know six inches away from the actor uh, <laughs> definitely like a child actor and in mm -hmm. case anything happens you know it's like oh hospital time um not good uh, so yeah. yeah so the, the shots were you know weren't exactly how i wanted it to be so um to make up for that, I had to insert the shot of the old man in between the child and the teenage years. Hmm. Which is, uh, it sounds like it did its job at conveying your message, so. I hope so. Yeah. All right, so then... <laughs> receiving critique from your peers and from uh, people around you and your mentors is one thing. Receiving critique at a film festival is a whole different thing. Talk us through what it was like submitting your, uh, your film watching it amongst other festival participants and then ultimately getting talked uh you know getting asked questions on the panel tell us about that experience i don't remember the panel as much um i mean it was just like, like you know, it was all a blur yeah, i mean it was i mean i you know you just submitted to the film festival <laughs> um i i was with or i was i was on a panel with a couple other guys from walla walla they had a film there that was um, great too. Yeah, I think the moderator of the panel didn't um, realize that I was there, um, so uh, he got or he asked them a bunch of questions, and then they were like, "Hey, you know, he's here too." I think I asked a couple of questions, um, but yeah, I don't remember it. I probably botched up what I was gonna say um, on the panel you, because like, black out for a few hours, and you're like, "Oh, it's over." You know, I was just like, uh, yeah, well, my film's about stars and dreams, and you know, uh, um, I'm a filmmaker. Um, hire me, please. <laughs> um, yeah, but I think you know, the they, um, the people from Walla Walla met up with me after, yeah, after the whole section, and we talked for a little bit. And they were great. Um, they liked my film. I liked their film. So I was like, yay. <laughs> Since we're kind of talking in generality here, here's a little bit more specifics. Um, it was Sunscreen 2018. We were, it was held at La Sierra University in the Sahara School of Business. Brendan was one of two films, I believe, that was submitted. I think it was 2019. My bad. Uh, yeah, so Brendan was one of two films, I believe, that were submitted from La Sierra. And uh, he, no, I, I, sorry, correcting myself again. 
one of three, I believe, submitted from La Sierra. And his film was paired with a really like insane film from Walla Walla. Like the when the panel was called up, it was like eight or nine dudes had came up to talk about it, and then it was Brendan. <laughs> so <laughs> contextually, yeah, <laughs> contextually it was kind of weird that eight different people from you know came to talk about one film, but uh, when the moderator came to ask questions, the moderator kind of forgot that Brendan was there because there was eight other people on stage <laughs> for one film. Um, but yeah, it was a very interesting experience. And uh, just to like ease your mind, Brendan, you basically said your synopsis of your film um, in the same way that you said at the head of the show here. Uh, yeah, I think that's what I said. <laughs> <laughs> you literally just have amnesia, like just no memory it didn't happen i don't know you know you know you know when you have bad memories you just kind of block them out of your mind you oh know? my god that's called that's called dissociative amnesia and it's caused by trauma <laughs> oh well i guess i had trauma for 15 minutes therapist about that <laughs> the more you, know, you know your first films um but let's actually talk about that a little bit let's talk about how you took the experience of that film and then ultimately uh, took those lessons and then created your other films. What did you learn from this process of your first film? And uh, what mistakes did you uh, make? And then what did you do to kind of like take those and equip yourself for later projects? Well, um, as mentioned before, the biggest thing that I've learned was time management on the film set. And then another takeaway was that I learned that I could do it I could make a film and that kind of gave me confidence to keep going forward um, so moving from there I think the the summer between my sophomore and junior year um, John Huang and I shot a, a film um, with Mark as cinematographer again because Mark's great so we, we shot that film um, John was a little anxious because he, he had never done something on that scale um, narrative wise before so but I was relatively comfortable because I had gone through it all before and I knew it was going to happen. Um, I knew that mistakes would be made along the way, but that we could get through them because we're surrounded by fantastic people. And that is another key thing is that surrounding yourself with good crew is amazing because you know that they'll have your back um, and that they want the best for you. And, you know, they will accommodate your shortcomings. Um, but yeah, moving forward, it gave me a lot of confidence to continue doing more films. So, so after that one with John, I did my junior year projects along with like a couple others. And yeah, I guess everything kind of stemmed from Distant Lights. <laughs> uh, any questions about his process? Um, I was just wondering what draws you more to like sort of dramatic pieces over comedic pieces? <laughs> That's because I'm a dramatic person, Kenton. Very true. <laughs> I should know. I should no. have known. As as <laughs> as cliche as it is, I'm I like the human condition. So and I'm much more familiar with um drama than I am with comedy. I don't think I can do comedy on screen because that is something that takes a very talented person who mm-hmm. knows how to make a person laugh visually and audio wise and not just you know for cheap tricks and jokes yeah <laughs> um, but yeah i drama is more uh, it fits my style more <laughs> hmm. gwen do you have any questions 
Um, how do you go about writing the story? And is that difficult for you? Um, man, I think there's two ways to go writing about stories. One of them is like this one where it's a flash of inspiration and you just go and write it. Um, and the other um, type is when you have an idea and you try and flesh, uh, flesh it out. Um, and that is, it, it, it's harder because um, like, you're, you're trying to fit all these pieces together uh, and you're not exactly sure how they connect and you have to make them connect and thread all the way through and make like the stakes increase, you know, as uh, from scene to scene and you have to make, you know, all these little connections and, and it's, it's difficult, but I think, you know, as long as you're motivated and you want to tell a story, then it's definitely easier than like, oh, I have to make this thing for a requirement rather than like, I want to tell the story. Let's go and tell it. So did you have to take like a script writing class before you started? No, I mean, this, this was shot outside of class. So I just, I, I did take short script writing my, my freshman year. Um, so I, I, I knew how to, at least the format of a script and what I, what was, you know, what's, what, what an action line is, you know, what, <laughs> where to put the dialogue and whatnot. Um, but yeah, I, I just wrote the scripts and then we went out and filmed it essentially. <laughs> All right. So uh, any advice you would give to someone writing, producing, directing, editing their own film, their first film? I'd say if it's your, your first film, then you should definitely have someone there who's older and more experienced than you to help guide you through it. Because there's lots of little things that, you know, you don't know as a first-time filmmaker that an older or more experienced person does know. So having someone to help mentor you and guide you through it is definitely, would definitely help. All right. Any other <clears throat> final questions before we uh, yeah. let Brendan go? I have one about, to go back to what the writing process was, what keeps you from, like, I guess when you're writing, from not going over-ambitious and making something writing something that you can't create like just because you don't have the money to have like huge effects or something like that i think it's important to differentiate between the, the two um one being you know people say you know write a story only you can create and don't worry about you know visual effects or you know massive locations or you mm -hmm. know massive budget stuff and then you, you can go and write that story and then that's that story but as a student filmmaker you can't create that story mm -hmm. so write a story that you can create using locations that you do know or locations that you know you can get because then you can actually make it and show it on your on your reel and your portfolio yeah so the genres are kind of limited to like drama and slice of life no, not necessarily. You can definitely do comedy and mm -hmm. other... just not really. And you could even not do sci-fi. Like, yeah, yeah. You just well, couldn't I mean, do it, like it. It depends on the way you're, that you're looking at it. Because do you really? I when you when you see sci-fi, or when you think of sci-fi, do you think of like you know a spaceship or you know like 
a planet, you know, rotating or, you know, satellite going around the planet or whatever. Do you think that, or, you know, do you want to figure out a way that you can shoot sci-fi on a lower budget scale? You know, maybe yeah. it's not necessarily, you know, spaceship, but maybe it's, you're in a dark tunnel and therefore you can, all you need is like, you know, a, a blacked out stage or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, on one end it's, you know, fitting within genre but on the other side on the student side it's like you know how can i make this plausible how can i turn this in a way that's creative and make something new and that looks good on a low budget scale mm-hmm. yeah i guess the, the real thing is just how many ideas can you come up with that you can create without like expanding yourself too much because if yeah, you have the right idea you can pretty much come up with anything and there's definitely a way to do it at a low price definitely to kind of like uh speak on the opposite side of that um when you're writing obviously write the story that you want to write and talk about and stay with that kind of like mentality and mindset i'm writing the story i want to do and then when you go to actually start producing it that's when you have to kind of like let reality be present because there are some things that are completely within the possibility and there's some things that are just absolutely not possible at the moment. And in some ways, you need to make sure that you kind of keep those separate. So that way you don't limit yourself while you're trying to, trying to create a story. Um, mm. But yeah, like Brendan said as well, there's a lot of things that when you get to the producing side of it, you have to kind of think about, okay, realistically, I have these locations. I can make this work as this area. I can make this prop. I can make this uh, costume or whatever. Um, so try to kind of separate those two ideas and write what you want to write about. And then when you produce it, let reality come in and see if it's even possible at the moment, but don't try to limit yourself in either of the processes before you do either of the work. Yeah. Or, you know, maybe just find a creative way to twist it around, (laughs) you know, maybe instead of, you know, having like an army scene that's going out and fight, maybe, you know, have like a split second show of like, extreme close-up of him like you know firing guns slow motion and then cut to like you know the ptsd or whatever you know mm-hmm. <laughs> there's lots of creative ways to get the idea of what you're going for but it often involves uh asking people who know more than you or looking at tutorials or looking at methods um, but it's doable it's just a lot harder when you have less resources yeah i think it uh, would be interesting else? to uh, film a short film entirely in one location. Well, if you want to do that, check out Nothing Girls here um, on John's Vimeo channel for the Aperture's Light This Location contest because it's all shot in one location. Ooh, <laughs> and it's the second me. film. Yes, I will. Um, it is, as as Chris knows, um, I, th- I don't know if we mentioned it on the show before, but we've call- we call it Rotten Tomatoes for a reason. <laughs> <laughs> every film is a learning experience and you can always learn something from one set take it to the next one and make it the next one better and that's why it's a creative process you never really get to the end you just keep learning and making stuff better Mm -hmm. and more precise yeah you just keep on getting better and better all right well uh i think that's all of our questions so before we wrap up uh thank you brendan for sharing your experience thank you guys for being on the show Yes, thank you guys for being on the show. Thank you, Chris, for hosting this one. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Thank you. That's it. Thanks once again to Chris for hosting the podcast today and for Kenton and Gwen for joining us. I hope you enjoyed it and you listen to more. <laughs>